I got back into the office this past week, and just, you know, I guess somebody thought they'd let me know how much I was appreciated, and when I went into the bathroom in my office, there was this little sign taped to my mirror, and uh, I took a selfie of it and sent it over to Jeanette, and you probably can't read it, but it says, Wash your hands, you filthy animal. Now, I don't know who put that up, but uh, I know it was in a, in a joking spirit, and, and I appreciate the acknowledgement. Uh, uh, but, but, you know, I, I can't get no respect. You know, I feel like Rodney Dangerfield sometimes, you know, filthy animal. Just can't get no respect. And I do want to tell you, probably heard, many of you have heard about my finger that I I injured while I was on vacation. Uh, I built a building. I, I took a working vacation, a stay-home vacation, and you see a picture. It's not finished yet. Still got some trim work to do. But while I was working on that, I was uh, nailing that faceplate, that board that's up at the top before the shingles were put on uh, across the rafters that were extended out. I hadn't even put the roof on yet, and I was nailing that board on with a nail gun. And the nail hit a knot, and it caused the nail to go out of the board where my finger was. I was holding two boards together up over my head, standing on an eight-foot stepladder. And there I was with my finger nailed to that board in pain and holding a 10-pound nail gun on an eight-foot stepladder. Luckily, it was one that had a little platform on the top. So, and I also begin to feel myself getting a little queasy up there, you know, like maybe I was going into a little shock or something. And I got my presence of mind, and Jeanette was standing down below, and I said, here, take this nail gun. She said, what do you want me to do? I said, first, take the nail gun. That's the first thing you can do. And, and then I began, my mind began to race. What do I do? I'm nailed to this thing, and I couldn't get it off. And she said, I'm going to run get the neighbor. He's an EMT. And hopefully he can help. And so here I am with my hand up over my head. I can't even see the nail that's in there. Of course, I can feel it in my hand. Jeanette later said, you know, those nails were rusty. I said, not when I got my finger off of it. It wasn't. But um, I said, hand me a hammer before you go get the neighbor. And there I was hanging up there. And, you know, some questions started to go through my mind. Why did you let this happen to me, God? Where, where are you right now, God? I, I really need you. Where are you? And, you know, there are a lot of times when things happen in our lives and we, we start to question, where's God? You know, maybe sometimes things happen and you even say, does God care about me? Am, am I such a sinful person that he's... He's not even involved in my lives anymore. And, and what am I going to do in, in this situation that I'm in? You know, maybe you get in situations sometimes. And, and it causes, I, I think everybody questions. Maybe not question God's existence, but you question, God, are you going to help me? Are you going to be there with me in, in my time of need? There's a story in the Bible, this is not our text today, but Mark chapter 9, about a man whose son was possessed by an evil spirit, it says. And 
This spirit caused him to go into convulsions and sometimes it would try to throw him into a fire or throw him into the water and drown him. And he went to Jesus' apostles trying to get healing and, and they couldn't heal the man. And finally they come to Jesus and, he, and, and the man says to Jesus, if you can, do something. Jesus says, if I can, he says, everything is possible for those that believe. And the man says to Jesus, I love this statement, I believe, help me in my unbelief. It's kind of like, well, I believe something could happen, but I don't know if it's going to happen. And maybe sometimes we get in a situation like that. We get in struggles. And this last year has been a struggle for a lot of people. Some of us, it's, it's been a, a real inconvenience, but some people, they've had a lot of struggles through this COVID. And you pile on top of that our, our world and all the immorality that's going on in our world today. You can't even turn the TV on without them trying to force some kind of immorality on you in the TV programs that are on TV now. And the pol political situation and environment that we've been in for the last couple of years has been crazy. And, and then you put COVID on top of that, and it can be devastating. It can weigh on people's minds. Today we're starting a new series, and we have titled this series Lessons from a Pandemic. And I think there are some biblical lessons that we have learned at least that we should have learned, and maybe that we're going to learn a little better as we go forward, that we need to think about. And, and so as we go through this series, today the message is going to be God is still in control. But you know, that brings up a question to me. How can we believe that God is in control when a pandemic happens? I think... That's a question that a lot of people are asking. I think it's a good question. And I think it's a question that deserves an answer. You know, as I, I looked at the death toll this past week, I don't know what day it was, it's gone up since then, but over 3 million in our world have died due to COVID. Uh, I don't know if the counts are accurate, but a lot of people have died. Uh, in the United States alone, over 580,000 Tennessee, 12,000. Sullivan County, almost 300 people. This virus has really changed our world in a lot of ways. Many people have lost loved ones. Some people's health issues have uh, increased because they got COVID, and even though they got over it, they're still struggling with other things. People have lost businesses. They've lost jobs. Uh, it's changed the way we do business. You know, you can't go into a store now without a glass plate in front of you and the person that you're, you're buying from. It's changed the way we live. And we've gone through a lot this last year. And you know, the truth is, our country has gone through a lot of devastating events. Uh, back in February, I preached a sermon series called Renew, and in there I, I talked about some of the things that we've gone on in our country, World War I, uh, we went through an influenza epidemic in 1918 and 19, stock market crash 1929, Dust Bowl in the 30s, uh, World War II. And, and so this is not the first time our country has had trouble, but it's, 
it's here now, and so it's in our minds. And, we're, and we're, it's constantly on our minds. I'd like for you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, the people in the Bible went through some pretty devastating times as well. Peter writes first and second Peter to a group of people in churches in what was then Asia Minor. Today, that's modern-day Turkey. And I uh, understand Turkey's going through some issues in their country today, political problems. And, and people in that day were under persecution. The Romans, for whatever reason, didn't like Christian people. I guess it's because they acknowledged Jesus as their king instead of Caesar as their king. And around 65 AD, when Nero Caesar was, uh, was in charge of Rome, he really persecuted Christians. And it was a difficult time for Christians. Um, they faced death and mistreatment and, of course, overtaxation. And it was a devastating time. Maybe it was a time when they were saying, uh, why, God, are you allowing this to happen? Where are you, God? Uh, how can we believe in you when we're having to face these troubles in our lives? And, and Peter writes to them, especially in 1 Peter, he says, point blank in chapter 1, you're going to have to suffer now for a period of time. And in chapter 2, he even informs them, you're, you're going to have false teachers come into the church and, and try to corrupt your church. But he writes to these people to stand firm in their faith and to stimulate their growth and, and to combat some of the false teaching and just more or less to encourage the people to a wholesome life in the midst of the trouble they face. And the message here, I think, helps us in our difficult time. Let's look at verse 1, chapter 3 of Second Peter. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. These waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You know, there will always be scoffers denying what the Scriptures teach. Peter begins here this last chapter as he begins to close out this letter cordially. I, I like the way he starts that, dear friends. That shows that he cares about these people, that he, he believes in them and he's close to them. But he says, I want to stimulate your thinking. That word stimulate in the original Greek means to, to stir up. I want, to, I want to stir your thinking a little bit. I want you to, to think through some things because you, you need hope. You know, when you get around negative, wrong-minded people, it can bring you down. He mentions these scoffers here. You know, a scoffer is somebody that makes fun of somebody. 
somebody especially that, that has strong religious or moral beliefs and, and they make fun of you. Ah, you believe in some God, that's, that's fairy tale. And here were these scoffers, but they were inside the church. And Peter says they'll be present in the last days. We are in the last days. The last days are the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And, and so we are in the last days. And he says, you're going to have these people in your church. They're really unbelievers. But they somehow have worked their way into the church. We don't know why. They're probably some of the false teachers. They're in it for the money. They're in it to maybe control people. If you go to chapter 2, uh, Peter writes a little bit about them. Chapter 2, verse 1, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there are false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Brings bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into dispute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you and with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. In other words, Peter says they're going to face the judgment of God, these false teachers that are in your church. They're there trying to get people to follow them instead of the Lord. You know, since the beginning of Judaism, going all the way back uh, to uh, coming out of Egypt, there were scoffers. There were people that questioned where's, where's God and, and made fun of people. Throughout history, some of supposedly God's people have have turned against him. And Peter says, they're going to even question the return of the Lord. That's a large part of the apostles' teaching. You know, it's, a, it's part of the foundation of Christianity that Jesus is coming back one day, and, and when he comes back, he's going to take all the true believers to be with him. These guys were saying, you know, if you go all the way back to the fathers, they said, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, people have been dying ever since. And they're still dying today. And, and you said that Jesus was going to bring eternal life. Where is this Jesus, they're saying? Maybe some people today are asking that. He says they deliberately forget, verse 5, 6, and 7. He says they deliberately forget. This God created the heavens and the earth. And he was dissatisfied with the ungodliness on the earth one time. And he destroyed the earth with water that time. And he's going to destroy it again with fire. And all those that are, that are not believers, they're going to be caught up in that fire. You know, when you're, you're standing up on an eight-foot ladder, teeter-tottering and, and feeling kind of queasy and your finger is nailed to the roof, to, uh, you got a nail in there and it's starting to hurt, it's easy to question God and to say, you know, where, where are you, God? How are you going to work in this? What are you going to do? And sometimes people can get in that track where they, they question God. I love what the late uh, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia 
had to say. He was speaking to a group of people in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he said, God assumed from the beginning that the wise of this world would view Christians as fools, and he has not been disappointed. If I've brought any message today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ, to borrow from the Apostle Paul. And have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. He says, in the, he's saying, you know, in the midst of whatever you face in this life, if you claim to be a follower of God, some people are going to scoff at you. Some people are going to laugh at you and say, you're stupid to believe that. But you stand firm in your faith. Now look at verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. You know... What, the, what I want you to think about next is that God operates on his own schedule. I don't know, and I can't tell you why Jesus has not already come back. It's not in the Scripture. But the text here says that the Lord is patient. He's not slow. He's just patient. He has a long-term plan. And God doesn't see time as we do. Can you imagine living where you saw all the past and all the present, and all the future at one time. Because God knows it all, and he sees it all. In Isaiah chapter 55, the prophet reminds us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God thinks on a different plane than we do. But what his desire is, is that more and more people will turn to him. That they'll repent. You know, a lot of people out there going their own way. Going the way of, of, of somebody else. Following some scoffer or somebody. But God wants us to turn and go his way. To place all of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and follow him. That means we have to make a change. And the day of the Lord is coming, Peter says. That, that day of the Lord, that's the day Jesus returns. And there's a lot of thoughts about that. Some people say it's, it's going to be the beginning of a long period that, that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to reign on earth for a thousand years. Some say he will go ahead and take the, the church out, the real believers of this world. Some say they won't leave uh, at that time. Some say when he comes, he's going to reign on earth for a thousand years and a lot of people will get a second chance to really believe in him. That's not really what I believe. Others believe that when he comes back, it's over. That he's coming back, he's going to take his people, his church, his believers with him, and he's going to destroy this earth. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for just a minute. I want to read you something here. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to 
be misinformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, how can Jesus bring them with him? You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says when we die, our spirits go to be with the Lord, if you're a believer. And so Jesus is apparently going to bring those spirits with him. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are rich until, uh, until the coming of the, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will certainly not proceed those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. You know, when I first moved to Bristol, I noticed every Saturday at noon there was this loud horn that goes off. You ever notice that? I guess it's an emergency system. First time I heard that, I thought, is that the, is that the trumpet call of God? Yeah, I don't know if that's what it's going to sound like. It's going to sound like a ram's horn, I think, because that's what they had in Jesus' day. But there's going to be the voice of the archangel with it, and you're going to know if you're a true believer. My sheep know my voice, Jesus said, and you're going to know. Here we go, folks. We're in for a wonderful ride. And the dead in Christ, he says, will rise first. Now, wait a minute. He's got the souls but the dead are going to rise first? What does that mean? I think their bodies are coming up out of the ground. 1 Corinthians 15 says there'll be different kind of bodies. There'll be spiritual bodies. And apparently they'll be reunited with their souls. And then he goes on and he says, the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So this we know. When that day of the Lord comes... You're a believer, whether you're dead, past believer, or a current, alive believer, you're going up to meet Jesus in the clouds. That's going to be a glorious day. You know, you don't never know the impact that something's going to have on your life. Dennis Waitley was supposed to catch a flight from Chicago airport out to Los Angeles, and he was a little bit running late, and so he was hurrying, trying to get through the airport, and he gets to the jetway where he go down to board the plane, and the door shuts. He said, wait a minute, I've got a ticket, let me on. No, sir, we can't. It's already shut. Can't let anybody else on. He was livid. You can imagine being five seconds too late of getting on that plane. And so he marched off as mad as a hornet, went to the counter to register his complaint and change his ticket for the next earliest flight. And as he's standing in line at that counter, they come over the intercom and they said, Ladies and gentlemen, American Airlines, we are sorry to report flight 191 crashed on takeoff. He later found out all 271 people on that plane were killed. Now imagine having that in your life. Needless to say, he did register his complaint. In fact, he didn't even trade in his ticket. He says this, Had I been on time, it would have been the last day of my life. Never registered a complaint, never cashed in his ticket. In fact, he took the ticket and posted it in his office so that it would be a reminder to him 
This is what he says. On difficult days, the days when I feel like throwing in the towel, all it took was one glance at that ticket to regain perspective. That ticket was a constant reminder that every day is a gift. And it would be. It should be. You know, events can seem devastating at the time, but you never know down the road the impact that they're going to have on your life and how it's going to change things, how it's going to change the future. We don't know the impact that COVID will have on us for the future. We just don't know. We'll have to live it out and see. But you know, I know God's going to use it. I know already God has used it to turn some hearts toward Him. Needless to say, He will also use it to take some of those who were teeter-tottering in belief and those that would become scoffers. He will, he will show that they are not believers. It's sad to say that some will turn away because they can't see believing in a God who allows this to happen. We don't know the impact long term. But this day of the Lord that he's talking about here, it's coming. And it's not something that we should dread. Look at verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise and looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You see, Jesus is coming back to make everything right. We are to look forward to this new heaven and this new earth where we will dwell with the Lord forever. Revelation chapter 21 makes clear that that's going to be a glorious place. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There's the church, the bride of Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the dwelling place is now, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So many scoff at God because they don't like the way things are now. But you know, the reason why things are as they are now is because sin came into the world. It started with Adam and Eve, and it's carried on throughout history for all people. The Bible says all of us have sinned. So we've all contributed to this messed up, crazy world filled with sin because God gave us free will, the, the freedom to choose to do what we want to do. And not to follow his ways. Of course, we can choose to follow him. And when something like this, this COVID thing happens, we have to just put everything into perspective and realize that things are going to happen in this broken world and that God is not through yet. 
He's not through with you or me or anybody. And he's patient. And you know, every day he's turning some hearts toward him. And he's growing the hearts of those who believe in him. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's our model. You think about Jesus. He, he faced the cross, that, that brutal Roman execution, but he faced it with faith. And he allowed himself to be nailed to that cross, to die for our sins, knowing what the future holds. That that meant salvation and that that meant that he was going to be raised to death, raised from death. And he came away from the cross victorious. And as he did, Peter says, we are to live holy and godly lives. Holy means set apart for God. It means I'm a believer. I'm, I'm one of those that's part of your kingdom. And I'm yours, God. I want to live for you. And godly means to be like him, to emulate him. Now look at verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. You see, no matter what happens, live faithful lives and trust God's plan. Peter says, make every effort. If you remember back at the beginning of this year, we did a series called Everything We Need, and we talked about in the first chapter of 2 Peter, Peter wrote that God has given us everything we need to live a life that he's called us to through faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And there in that chapter, he says, Therefore, make every effort, just as he says here, to add to your faith, goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and kindness and love. He's calling us to live the life of godliness despite the fact that we go through trouble in this world. He says here, live a spotless and a blameless life. That, That has to do with not living the sinful lifestyle. Living the faithful lifestyle. And he talks about peace there. You know, we can have peace in knowing that God has a plan and trusting that his plan is going to come true. His plan for Jesus came true. We've seen throughout history God said things and and they came true. And we know that whatever we face, even if it is trouble, God is going to go with us. Peter brings up Paul's writings here. Some of Paul's writings are difficult to understand. They're theologically deep. And and many people over the years have distorted some of those things and and tried to take that to, to lure people to follow them instead of following Christ. But there's one day they're going to experience the destruction of heaven and earth and the place of fire. Be very cautious about the teacher or the preacher you listen to. 
I, I thank goodness that in the Christian church we have elders. They, they oversee me and they, they make sure that I don't go astray in my teaching. And, and we hold each other accountable for, for godly teaching. And, and we don't try to get off track and get people to follow us rather than follow Christ. James chapter 3 Verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. I don't take that lightly, to be honest with you. And I strive to, to make sure that I'm laying out what the Scriptures want us to say. But sometimes people get confused. They get off track. Wendy Murray tells about her little son, Ben, you know, they were church-going people, and Ben had been, uh, had been showing some signs that he was, you know, about ready to give his heart to Christ, and he paid attention in church and learned Bible verses and studied, and they began to talk to him. Are you ready to give your heart to Christ and give your life to Christ and be baptized? And he kept saying, no, I'm not ready. No, I'm not ready. And that puzzled them. And he finally, he said, I'll let you know when I'm ready. And one day he came to breakfast and while they were eating a bowl of Cheerios, little Ben said, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And with that, he just got up and left the table. And they followed him and he went upstairs to his bedroom. And when they got to the bedroom, there was little Ben and he was folding up his, uh, his Star Wars pajamas and he was putting them in his Sesame Street suitcase. And they realized that Ben thought if he gave his life to Christ, he was leaving them and going to heaven to be with Jesus. Now, his theology was off a little bit, but don't you admire his faith? He was ready to give it all up, to leave his mom and dad to go and be with Jesus. Wow. You can learn a lot from little children, Jesus said. You know, God desires us to have the right theology and to grow and to mature despite the fact that we live in this broken and this fallen world. Look at what Peter closes with, verse 17 and 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawlessness and fall from your secure position, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So here's our connection. We should strive to keep growing spiritually so that unbelievers don't drag you down and believe that God is still in control. You know, Peter's stern warning here is don't let the scoffers and the false teachers weaken your faith. But on the positive side, Peter is saying to the church then and the church now, in the midst of Christian persecution in the first century, in the midst of a pandemic in the 21st century, you keep growing. You keep holding on to Him. You keep growing in that grace and that knowledge. And the knowledge he's talking about there is not just head knowledge. It's not just knowing about Jesus. It's knowing him personally. And what he means by grace is not just forgiveness. Grace is God's favor 
poured out on you. It's His power through the Holy Spirit to grow you and mold you and help you become all He wants you to be. You know, nailed to a building and not knowing what to do, it's, it's, it, can be, it can be trying on you. I admit, I, if I wasn't pain tolerant and, and didn't have the right presence of mind, I probably would have went into shock up there, maybe even gotten dizzy and fallen off that ladder and questioning God, and then I realized, no, don't question God. Ask God to help you. And Jeanette had handed me that hammer, and I was thinking I'd try to tap that nail and back it out and get it out of my finger, but I couldn't get any leverage to do that. And then as I prayed, Lord, you got to show me what to do. He said, just pry the nail up and slide your finger off. And I pried the nail up and slid my finger off and got down off the ladder and went around to the front yard and hollered at Jeanette and said, I got off, don't worry about getting the neighbor. You know, you just got to sometimes, when you get into difficult situations, you got to put all your hope and your trust in God. And that's what Peter's telling them then. That's what he's telling you now. No matter what you face, one of the greatest lessons we learn through a pandemic is to trust God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. The men like Peter and Paul and the other apostles and Jesus himself went through so many traumatic times. They faced so much, and yet they came away victorious. And they are with you now in heaven. And Lord, I pray that you help us to see that in this world, we're going to have trouble. We're going to have persecutions and we're going to have immorality and we're going to have political chaos and we're going to have pandemics. But Lord, we hold on to you in faith because we know where the end leads or should I say where the beginning will be. The beginning of a new life in a new heaven and a new earth. Help us to realize this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.